Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast, back for another episode. And hey, this has been a long time coming. My, my good friend Maxwell Baumbach is back. Uh, we've been talking about doing this pod and this episode for a really long period of time because he has put out some fantastic content over really the course of the last several months here. So uh, I am really thrilled to have him as a, a repeat guest here on the podcast, but with a really thrilling topic of his No Stone Unturned series from over the summer. Maxwell, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to be back on the program here and really excited to get into some of these guys that haven't gotten a ton of exposure, haven't gotten a ton of love, but they're they're deserving of it. So I'm, I'm pumped up. It's a fantastic series, not just from conception and trying to make sure that you had the idea of really shining the light on some of these guys who haven't gotten it on them a ton, but also in your execution of it, the amount of research that you did, not just in watching film to identify who you wanted to talk about, but with you know interviewing different coaches, different people around the program, finding ways to get to you know who the person is, not just what their play style is. It was so inspiring to me, and I know that's what we probably spent most of our time talking about back yeah. and forth throughout – uh, mm-hmm. while well, we had our, our private DMs going on throughout the series. But, Max, <laughs> before we dive into any, any of that yes, stuff, you, yeah. you know the rite of passage here mm-hmm. on the Box and One podcast. We've got a question that we ask of all of our guests. Season two, so different question. You ready to go? I'm ready. All right. So there are 18 seconds to go in the game, and your team is down four. You've got one timeout remaining. It's your ball, and you're inbounding, going the distance of the full court. Mm-hmm. Do you go for a quick two to try to cut that deficit to two or are you instructing your team to go for three? Yeah. So ideally in this situation, I have run through the scenario with my team before this is our go-to plan in this situation. What I would like to do, I would ideally like to get a three, um, but I would try to draw up the inbound play to also potentially set up the quick two if the three is not there. Um, so ideally what I'm looking at is a situation where I'm inbounding the ball to my point guard or whoever the fastest player is that I trust to dribble the ball quickly down the court. Um, maybe keep one other person in the backcourt just in case we're getting pressed uh, and we need that release valve there. And then on the other end of the court on the weak side, so the opposite side of where the ball handler is going to be coming up, I'm running some sort of pin down or drag screen to free up my best shooter. If that shooter is open, I would instruct the guard, hit that shooter. Let's try to get the three. If that's not there, I want my guard sprinting the length of the court. I want the person setting that screen to dive to the basket as hard as they can. And we're going into something looking for that quick two if that shooter isn't open. Uh, so that's that's my take on it. I love the quick yep. three. I think if you can get the quick three and get a good look, um, I feel like your chances are a lot better. You're not dealing with the whole having to foul, go back to the line, try to inbound the ball, run the length of the floor again. You're avoiding a whole lot of mess if you get the early three. So I'm personally a fan of the early three, but I realize it's it's not always there, and sometimes you got to take the two. Yeah, I think that the right way to set up a play is the three is the first option, but quick two comes right afterwards, and you don't mm-hmm. waste much time trying to get to that if that has to be your yeah. second option. Mm-hmm. So awesome. Well, appreciate your your insights there. And, and as we're we're diving into this series here, you are a film fanatic, a film junkie, somebody yeah. who really rolls up your sleeves and gets into the weeds. We have seen a lot of returning prospects, a lot of high school guys come into this draft class with a lot of hype, as well as you know the the Victor uh, Weminyama Scoot Henderson experience from a week ago. A couple Thompson Twins games, international competition has kicked off already. What are your initial impressions just on this 2023 draft class as a whole? I'm very excited about it, especially at the top. I think just that initial G league ignite versus metropolitans game where we saw both Victor and scoot absolutely put on a show, uh, was, was everything I wanted. Uh, it was the ultimate breakout performance for Victor. He'd struggled with efficiency and things like that. And I just thought, being matched against guys like Eric Mika, even a more athletic guy like F.A. Abugidi, that he might struggle in that game just from a pure efficiency standpoint. But to see him go out and have two straight performances showing that it's no fluke that when when he's there, when he wants to, he can put on a show, light up a defense. It doesn't really matter who you're putting on him. He can score. Uh, he can hit those tough shots that he likes to take. He's settling less. He's getting to the rim more. Uh, it, it was the ideal 
performance two times in a row for him. And obviously Scoot got injured in the second game, but he looks like a franchise player as well. Uh, so just that initial out of the gate performance from the two of them was really exciting. Um, I've really enjoyed what I've seen out of Nikola Durisic uh, yeah. in the mega, the yeah. mega games. Uh, yes. But it, but Amen Thompson as well, like he's just looked excellent. He's getting to the rim at will, even against better competition, which is mm-hmm. kind of the, the thing I was most curious about is what was he going to look like in that TBT game and in the games with mega and against Adelaide. And, and he looked really good too, but just between the guys we've seen between Jurisic, the Thompsons, Victor and Scoot, I could not be more excited for the coming draft cycle. I think there's, going to be a lot of just super high-end talent at the top. And I'm hoping that when the college season gets here, a lot of these potential one-and-dones hit. It's not the strongest returning class. So I'm hoping that we get a ton of depth uh, just out of these incoming freshmen as well. I, I think that's the key piece for me too here, Maxwell, is that you know not the greatest pool of returners. Where last year around like late December, early January, it was shaping up to be a ton of sophomores and maybe a junior or two who – had legitimate first round, if not lottery type of upside. I don't know if I see that in the returning pool in college basketball right now, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of freshmen who have the potential to be really intriguing one and done. That's what's going to create the depth of the class. But from what we've seen already, really high level at the top and what I expect to be a a pretty deep pool that goes through at least the lottery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping as well. I'm hoping with, you know, Cam Whitmore, hopefully he gets better with the thumb injury, yeah. Drake Whitehead with the foot. Like a lot of this stuff is starting to worry me a little bit, but I'm just hoping <laughs> these guys get healthy and we get to see them just rock out. We need to because it's it's almost time for basketball in that point of the year where all we're doing is watching film and trying to keep up with every guy that we can. But we're not here to talk about those top prospects today. We're actually here to do, I'm going to steal your terminology, a draft sickos episode. <laughs> where we're going to dive into into the deepest parts of the weeds here. And you started this summer a series over there on, on No Ceilings called No Stone Unturned. And this was essentially your chance, your opportunity, while things were a little bit calmer over the summer, to try to explore the deepest of the deep mid to low major players and prospects that might be able to stand out that aren't getting that type of, of national recognition. Essentially, turning over those stones and trying to see every player that's underneath. Maxwell, where did you get the inspiration for this type of idea, both in terms of the, again, the, the conception of it, as well as the, the execution? Yeah. So the concept was something that I'd been stewing on for a while. I tried to later on in the draft cycle, sneak in more just deep cut guys into my columns uh, and devote a little bit of a section to them. And I just started to realize like there are a ton of these guys. Um, there are a ton of players that have really interesting statistical profiles or uh, that I catch a couple of games of and they'd really stand out. But during the midst of the draft cycle, it's hard to devote a lot of time and attention to them um, just because I, I have to focus on the guys that are going to get picked. Right. And even if I think a guy's really good, if there's not a palpable draft buzz, it's not a good use of my time in April, May, and June uh, to, to focus on the film a lot. So once the draft came and went, um, but even prior to that, I'd started to compile a list of guys that, and part of this started like during the season, guys that I thought had really interesting statistical profiles or guys that I saw maybe once or twice that I really enjoyed or had an interest in. And from there, I just started to, once the draft was over, work my way through that list. And just go through and see, all right, who's who's real, who isn't. Uh, and then I started to kind of shift everything into position groups and just narrowed it down. I did five guards, five wings, and five bigs. Um, another real kind of turning point for it uh, conceptually, though, was uh, getting to go to the Under Armour U- uh, U-17 yeah. events. Um, yeah. At that event, I got to talk to a lot of coaches and it really kind of opened my eyes and got me better connected within that community and helped me realize like I, there are people that I, I have spoken to that I know will talk for this series. And I know that I can kind of make these connections and uh, just get better insight, better, uh, better Intel and a better idea of the prospect and what they've been working on. Because to me, like the most interesting thing is what players are working on. Uh, Cause sometimes you get answers that, are like, oh, all right, that's 
that's an interesting path that you're uh, that you're choosing there. And other times you get like, oh man, this guy is is really good at these things, and he has this one flaw, and he is solely devoted his off season to working on that flaw. Uh, so I, I just thought it was a great way to provide better depth for the reader, but also just for myself, gain a better understanding of who is this player and and what are going to be the next steps for them, and what can we expect well, in the next season. And the amazing part about these articles and 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 works that you put together was not just the the commentary that you were able to get from a lot of their college coaches, you know, different contacts, teammates, people that were around them, but your ability to translate that into a, a, a clear pathway to what it means for their draft stock or what they need to continue to improve at and, and get better. So, you know, my tip of the cap to you, not just for the identification of a lot of these guys, and you'd mentioned sometimes it's films, sometimes it's stats, like all, all these different ways of finding those guys, but your execution of turning this into here's where they are as a prospect. Here's where they can get better. This is the type of uh, environment that they're going to be in over the next year. And those that are around them who are telling them what they need to do in order to improve to maybe put themselves in a legitimate position to find themselves on an NBA roster last year. So I, I thought that was, was fantastic. And, I, and I'm really curious, Maxwell, after finishing mm -hmm. up this series, yeah. Are there any main takeaways or I guess key themes that you would find from what some of these guys have in common or, or why some of them remained under the, uh, you know, were hidden for so long? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a big part of it is a lot of these guys have, um, I feel like a lot of them had kind of peculiar team situations. Like a lot of them either played at a school uh, where they just don't get a lot of media coverage. Like, I think I had two players that both played in the Big West that ended up between Jadon Jones and Francis Noah Corey, uh, which is not a conference that gets a lot of attention. Uh, but you watch them and they have some good games against good teams and they really know how to play, but they just don't have a huge spotlight on them. Um, there was also, uh, like I mentioned, like just odd team situations. There were certain guys like Michael Moreno uh, and Trenton Massner both just played on teams that weren't that great. And there were two different reasons for that with, with master was a situation where Western Illinois historically has not been uh, a great team outside of like when Ricky O'Donnell is playing. His <laughs> Shout uh, out Ricky and, and, and college hoops 2k8, <laughs> which uh, was a big source of entertainment for me during the early yeah. days of COVID. Yeah. Uh, but historically just not a very good team. And he got them up to like a 500 level and had them score wins over teams like DePaul and Nebraska. Uh, but because Trent masters playing Western Illinois, He's not getting a lot of coverage. Michael Moreno played for an Eastern Kentucky team that had been really good the last couple of years. This year, they just got devastated by injury. And now they're getting everybody back for this year. And I anticipate that they'll have a good season. Maybe they make the tournament and, and more people start to, to come across them. So a lot of it was team situation. A lot of it was media spotlight. And a lot of it is just like little small things. Like in general, there were very few guys that profile well statistically um, that I thought were very good at like putting the ball on the ground. For example, a lot of these guys have the steal numbers, they have the block numbers and they have a good three point percentage. So they grade out well analytically, uh, but you watch the film and like a lot of guys that didn't make the cut. It was just, they don't have any connective tissue to their offensive game. They're not great passers. They can't put it on the floor. You chase them off the line and there's nothing there. And you know, you really, really need to hit threes at an exorbitantly high clip and if those defensive numbers aren't coming in a power conference, I also have questions about how well are those numbers going to look in the NBA? So yeah. that like the guys that didn't make the list, it was usually just that lack of, of connective tissue to their game. Sure. And again, I think the, the list and the, all the guys that you spotlighted as soon as I read your pieces and watching, there were a couple that I hadn't heard of too much or, or those there's like, oh, I noted him at some point, but never got to actually following up and seeing how he was. You were on the money with pretty much everybody, and that was uh, that was great to see. So, why is this all relevant, right? Yeah. Why are we devoting a, a real episode mm -hmm. to a lot of this stuff? I, I have one hypothesis, and if yeah. I may, I'll let you correct me it. if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, over the last couple drafts, Jalen Williams, Ryan Rollins, Bones Highland, these are guys that don't really end up getting a lot of hype until. February, March, like maybe right around the tail end of the season when it's too late to watch them still playing. And they end up not just getting drafted, but performing pretty well when they get to the NBA. That a lot yeah. of these mid-major spots that don't, or, or players that, that go to these schools that are a little bit under the radar, don't have the same spotlight. 
doesn't mean they're any less of a prospect. And this is your way of hitting the fast forward button on getting them into the limelight. Yeah, I, I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like it if everyone, uh, you know, receive more attention coming out of this. Right. I, I think a couple guys maybe will, a couple of them started to get it before I could even hit publish. Like I was kind of disappointed in some ways that like the Jaden Nunn train really started rolling. And I was like, oh man, like I, I worked on this guy like months ago. I thought I had the inside track and now yeah. everyone realizes he's really good at basketball. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. And I just think the margins are fascinating. I think the margins are where good teams win. Uh, and I think that it's really important to highlight these guys because a lot of times, you know, on the high end, we're talking about guys that, uh, I, I think Jaden Dunn has a shot at the first round, but mostly guys that could, are, we're really looking at second round picks or guys who could be undrafted. And you look at what teams like the Miami heat have done, uh, even a team like the golden state warriors, like Draymond yep. green was, you know, not under the radar, but he was a second round pick. Um, a lot of these teams can just find good players on the margins. And I think mm -hmm. that it gets really overlooked. And a lot of people, a lot of the mainstream draft coverage is just of the guys at the top. And it makes sense. It, they, they are running a business. That's what they need to do. Uh, but I always just craved finding out more about the guys further down the list. And I think this is a great opportunity for uh, fans to learn about them. Um, but I also just think the margins are, are really important for NBA teams. So it's been something that's always just fascinating for me to study. All right, so let's spend some time on those margins tonight. I, mm -hmm. I think that after reading your whole series and we gone back and forth about trying to figure out the right guys to talk about here, let's bring a few of them onto the podcast tonight. Maybe those that we think have, I don't know, the strongest case of making mm -hmm. an NBA impact either next year or beyond that. So mm -hmm. one name I want to start with because he's been a guy of mine as well. Mm -hmm. Tucker DeVries at Drake. What do you want to tell us about Tucker? Yeah. Tucker DeVries is another guy. I think there's like real first round upside here. If things hit, uh, he is six foot seven. Uh, so he's got good size and his shooting splits. If you look at him on paper, it's like, I oh, have, yeah, you know, pretty good. He scored 14 points a game, uh, 41.6% from the field, 33.9% from three. So it's like, ah, you know, I kind of wish he was more efficient. Um, I think he's going to be, I think another year of just settling in and getting used to the speed of the college game. Uh, and just the way he improved throughout the season, he lit up Loyola a few times and Loyola had one of the best defenses in college basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also, I really buy the shot with him. Uh, so he hit about 34% from three took 12.4 per 100 possessions. So he shoots a lot of them and he shoots them from NBA distance. He's shooting them from behind the line. He's shooting them off of movement. He's shooting them without yep. his feet set all the time, just based on the nature of the offense and the kind of shots that he has to take. So it's one of those things where on paper, you look at the size and the numbers and that that's pretty good. Uh, but you dig into the film and it is just really impressive what he can do yeah. as an outside shooter. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's where I'll, I'll interrupt you real quickly. Just, yeah. I think a lot of times, particularly for freshmen shooting percentages, don't tell the entire story mm -hmm. that when it's a, a newer level of basketball, when you're adjusting something a little bit different, Maybe when you're a freshman and you have to have a pretty large scoring role like DeVries did, you're not going to be able to be as efficient. But it's the flashes of coming off screens, of maybe being a ghost pick-and-pop type of shooter. Deep range, that's what matters. But sorry to, to interrupt. No, no, and you're spot on. And you see with rookies all the time in the NBA, it's the same thing. It's just adjusting to that new level, adjusting to that speed, that athleticism, the timing. Um, the other thing I really like about DeVries offensively is defenses pay a ton of attention to him because he has that gravity and because he'll shoot from so far behind the three point line. He reminds me a lot of Vince Williams jr. In terms of this, this man is a judo player on offense where <laughs> when guys come in too hot, he just burns them with their own momentum every single time. Uh, really good at attacking a closeout. Uh, and he's very good at the rim. Great body control, uses his length while there, protects the ball around the basket. Um, and he's not a guy who's going to create out of isolation unless it's one of those settings where someone, it's a fly by closeout or something like that. Uh, but he was also an exceptional pick and roll ball handler, uh, graded out like at guard levels in pick and roll situations uh, per synergy this last season. Gets really low with the ball in his hand comfortable with both hands ambidextrous as a ball handler uh can sling with one 
he's just really well-rounded offensively. He can score at all three levels and he is a very, very uh, competent decision maker uh, who knows what he can do as a creator and he plays with pace. He doesn't get too sped up, uses a hostage dribble a lot, uh, just very poised and in control. He uh, knows d- when to be patient and when to be really quick as a decision maker. Exactly. Yeah. When you need him to make a snappy decision, he can make one. Um, and then the other aspect of him, obviously the defense again, like to, I, he just reminds me so much of Vince Williams Jr. Like that's the, the name I just kept coming back to on the ball. There's times where he's a little bit stiff. Like he knows how to use his length. He knows what he's doing, um, but he's not super quick on the ball. Uh, but as a team defender and off ball defender, I think he's really great. His awareness is fantastic, especially for a player his age. There's so many freshmen that can get suckered into ball watching or, or just fall asleep and get backdoored and things like that. And it just doesn't happen to him. Uh, he's really good at rotating. Um, he gets into position at the rim a lot. And I, I, I'm going to beat this drum to death. I really think weak side rim protection is going to become increasingly important in the NBA. We have so many yeah. stretch big men now yep. that you're just going to need guys that can rotate and get to the rim and beat people there. And Tucker DeVries can do that too. So uh, just instinctually a very smart defender. Um, the one kind of hang up with him is his body and his athleticism. Uh, and I got to talk to Drake's head coach, who's also his father, uh, Darian DeVries. Uh, and something that he mentioned is that his body has been like the focus this off season. He said he's going to have a completely new look this season. So uh, I'm really excited about that because if the athleticism gets there, it's going to allow him to be a little bit more efficient, get better looks on offense, but defensively it's going to up what he can do on the ball as well. So if he comes into the season in better shape and he's a little bit more efficient, we're talking about a guy who's six, seven, who can score at all three levels, a good decision maker, a good team defender. And potentially at that point, somebody who's solid on the ball, like that's that there's first round potential there. I totally agree. So I brought up DeVries' name last weekend on the Game Theory Pod with Sam Vecini and talking mm-hmm. about my favorite kind of wing sleepers and guys that might play their way into the draft. Changing the body is going to be huge. But I find it interesting you're mentioning Vince Williams. The, the comp for me, or who I continue to see when I watch him play, is another new Memphis Grizzly. It's, it's Jake LaRavia mm-hmm. uh, that I see this, this guy who's going to be a fantastic spot-up shooter have that silky touch that starts his game, but knows how to attack closeouts. He's that high processing speed, high feel type of player who's more low risk as a driver, but gets to his spots, converts, makes the right plays. Never a primary guy, but good enough to do it in a pinch if you need him to. Mm-hmm. But the combination of shooting, size, and quick processing, playmaking feel like those are the recipes to be a really good offensive complementary wing in the NBA, which I think is what DeVries is going to be able to do. I'm so glad you mentioned the help defense. It's always stood out to me as something that he's great at. He he checks every intangible box, though. Smart player, coach's son, gritty defender, well-rounded and cares about a lot of different things. Like, I'm just – I'm really, really high on him, which why when I saw that you wrote about him in this piece was – I was Mm -hmm. thrilled. (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad to hear that yeah the, the tuck train is rolling uh everybody's <laughs> welcome to get on board the tuck train I, I i really think it's going to be a great year for him and the other thing is too like they got like guys like eric struts coming back on that team yeah. too so it's going to be a situation where i think he's going to be a little bit more adapted and ready uh as the season goes on but he still has enough help it's not going to be a situation where he's stranded and he's going to have to do it all himself so i really just see that efficiency uptick coming yeah, and Drake is a borderline NCAA tournament team. Like, this is a really mm-hmm. good you know, MVC program that has a shot to let him shine in March and, and really show on those biggest stages. Because, look, everybody wants to talk about it, whether it's with mid-majors or, or guys who haven't traditionally been playing at the Blue Bloods like Duke or Kentucky. How are they going to perform in games that really matter when the lights are, are brightest? Are they going to get that stage fright? Are they going to be able to do it against power conference competition and, and defenses? And playing in the NCAA tournament is really the only cure to shut up people who, who ask those questions. <laughs> so like, I, I just, I so badly want to see it, mm-hmm. but if we're going to be talking about shooting wings and guys who might take a huge leap forward in their sophomore years, I think we got to go to somebody else that you wrote about here. And it's, it's my guy, Zach Hicks at temple, the pride of Camden, New Jersey, 
Uh, I had the opportunity to watch him play a lot when he was younger and in high school, recruited teammates of his when I was coaching at the college level. So I'm quite familiar with Hicks's game, which mm-hmm. made it uh, awesome to see you kind of shine that spotlight on him. But I- I'd love for you to just tell our listeners and viewers a little bit more about what you found in watching Hicks film. Yeah, so Zach Hicks is very long, very tall, and he can really shoot. Uh, he is listed at 6'7". When I talked to Chris Clark, who's the assistant coach there, he mentioned that he thought Zach Hicks was 6'9". And he was like, yeah, no, 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 there's no way he's 6'7". And I was like, oh, all right. Uh, when I tweeted out the article, his mother actually confirmed on Twitter that he is indeed 6'9". Uh, so he is very long, very tall. Uh, knows where to be on defense, makes plays on that end, but the shooting is is the real the real skill with him. Uh, made thirty seven point four percent of his threes as a freshman, taking five point eight per game. Uh, really great, uh, just floor spacing. Is another guy who's going to hit from beyond NBA range. Uh, didn't really do a whole lot inside the arc, and we'll touch right. on that a little bit later. Yep. Uh, but showed some flashes of like turnarounds and things like that in the mid range, uh, and then defensively. He, I thought Chris Clark, again, the assistant coach there, put it really well, where he's going to make it challenging for guys one through four. He's not necessarily a lockdown guy, um, but he is very good with his length. He is great when guys try to drive inside on him. Uh, because he is a little thin, I think guys think they can overpower him, yeah. and they sort of can't, and then they'll throw something up that is contested in the mid-range, and he just gets his hands all over it. Um when they're in a switching uh, system, he does really well. He gets around screens really well. Uh, just solid on the ball and, and real solid within a team concept. Uh, very good at protecting the rim. Head is on a swivel all the time, so he can help, again, another guy who's going to yeah. offer some weak side rim protection. Um, so that's, that's just the, the, the positive side of it. Is yeah. He's big, he can shoot. And he knows what he's doing. And, and I think the one thing that I'll, I'll kind of add there for a little bit of context, just from what I've seen having coached at the college level before, is that most guys physically have their bodies change the most from freshman to sophomore year. That there's mm-hmm. always a leap that comes from, you know, having that extra amount of time in a college strength and conditioning system, from their bodies naturally being ready to add just a little bit more. As we said, he, he's growing a little bit more in terms of height the rest of the body is going to follow suit in that regard. So I think both with DeVries and with Hicks here, there's room for their games to expand and their impacts to grow just because their body is finally ready to catch up to the programs that they're in. Yeah. And, and with Hicks too, a reason to be optimistic on that is that uh, just due to situations outside of his control is nothing, nothing bad. He just wasn't, he didn't get to practice with the team prior to right. the start of the last season. Yep. So he didn't get that run up into the year. He didn't have time to adjust practice with the team, be in that strength and conditioning, get, get all that kind of under his belt. Um, so now he's got a full off season. And the thing that really stuck out throughout my conversation with coach Clark is just like the work ethic on this kid you only hear good things like it's and, and like I've poked around with other people too, not on the record. And the work I think is supposedly great. Like everyone just says like, he wants to get after it. He wants to be great. Uh, I mean, like you go to the temple athletics, Instagram page, he's like student athlete of the week and stuff like that. Like this is a kid who's just putting in the work at everything uh, and is by all reports, very coachable. So now um, we're, we're hopefully going to see a big leap from him because of that, but also he got better throughout last season. Like this is a guy whose minutes, yeah you go to his game log was not playing very much early in the year. And then as the year went on and on, just got more and more minutes, more and more trust. So if there's ever reason to really buy into a reason why there will be a freshman, a sophomore leap, it's a situation like this one. And I don't know if you've heard similar things, Maxwell, but a little birdie around the temple program has told me that he has looked phenomenal this summer mm-hmm. and is really ready to, to take a big leap. So I think that this is a combination of shining light on a kid who's already great at a lot of things and a definitive skill that's going to help for the NBA, but has already seemingly put in the work to improve the rest of his game so that he can show a little bit more of a well-rounded nature and really pop as a second-year player here at Temple. Uh, You mentioned the the lack of finishing and and creation inside the rim. Is there anything you want to address or bring up on that point? Yeah. Yeah. He's just got to be more aggressive getting downhill. So like he took, I think 10 shots at the rim in the half court last season, which is just 
you got to do more than that. Not like, when you're six nine. Yeah, you can't can't just do that when you're six nine. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, like, his first step is actually pretty good. He he just settled a lot. Like, it was a lot of, oh, I'm just gonna take this mid range shot, or just not utilizing it all the time, catching it, and then the shot's not there. I'm just gonna pass it off. Like, he's just got to be more aggressive, getting getting downhill and getting to the rim. Um, because with his length and with his touch, he should be way more efficient inside the arc. And instead, a lot of the shots that he took inside the arc were just tough, contested, one dribble pull up, two dribble pull up, those kind of shots. So he's really got to clean up his overall shot profile because, like I said, he was you know thirty seven point four percent from three. His overall field goal percentage was thirty seven point two percent. So the, the percentage on twos is just not not what you like to see. Um, but again, by all accounts, he's really working on that. Every, everything you hear is, and coach Clark mentioned it in the article, uh, they're really working on getting him playmaking more, getting downhill more, creating better shots for himself, creating shots for teammates. Uh, so I'm hoping that we'll see that, but like that has to change. Like you can't just be a floor spacer and nothing else. Yeah. I think that especially, uh, you know, given the way the temple wants to play and, and have the ball in multiple different guys hands and not just let it be ISO ball for Khalif battle this year, that that's going to be really, mm-hmm. really important. Uh, this is low key, a, a really talented temple team, but also are, yeah. a, a team that has a, a huge year in the Aaron McKee era. They've got a ton of high caliber games scheduled in their non-conference schedule. And then we all know, you know, there's Memphis, there's Houston, that the, uh, the, the AAC is no joke by any means either. So, you know, this is, there are going to be opportunities for Zach Hicks to show what he can do against high level competition. Hopefully he's ready to go in November and at the start of the season to be able to show that off because there are going to be some really, really intriguing and important matchups for him right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a lot about wings here, Maxwell. And I, I think that there's no, no secret to why I love wings. I think yeah. that the, N- the NBA is just trending more towards, you know, fewer smaller guards, fewer skillless bigs and guys that are <laughs> traditionally just around the basket. Like mm-hmm. you need length and versatility and guys who can do multiple things while all having a plus wingspan in order to, to survive. So we're going to throw one more wing out there, so to speak. I don't even know if I'd call him a wing. Uh, I think the, the yeah. proper term is just a basketball player and it's, mm-hmm. It's, you know, a guy that you and I, we were kind of cursing each other out for both being some of the first (laughs) ones. Yeah, you beat me on him. Yeah. (laughs) I put out something like a week before you did on this, and it was very Mm -hmm. small on my part. But Dylan Jones at Weber State. uh, Yeah. Yes, Damian Lillard, you. uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Dylan and and kind of where your infatuation and his, his game came from. Yeah. So honestly, initially, a big part of it was like, before I dug into the film, because I don't think I'd watched a game of his last season. Like, I just don't, maybe I'm wrong. I don't believe I watched a Weber yeah, State game last I season. I did not. No, no um, so, yeah. So, when I saw his statistical profile, there was a lot to pop. But also, like, the fact that it's Weber State, I was like, oh, are we getting, like, a Damian Lillard situation here? So, that was part of the initial pull. But the film, like, he he earned it. So, uh, very complete score. Uh, really good outside shooter. Um, but also made 60% of his twos. Uh, which that's something you love to see. Uh, six six, good size, very kind of stocky, really strong, and he cleans up on the glass because of it. This man carves out space in a way that very few can. Average ten point six rebounds per game. Yeah. Uh, this past season as a sophomore, so really, really does some work on the glass. Uh, but offensively, there's a lot of polish to his game. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Good, good shot prep when he's catching it uh, and shooting on the outside. Uh, but when he attacks, like he doesn't profile like a guy who you'd think could be a reliable kind of isolation creator because he's six six and he's not bursty, right? Uh, but he just really knows how to put the ball on the ground. Uh, very, very good handle for somebody his size. Uh, gets to his spots very well. Very patient, uh, but just smart about how he attacks closeouts really prevents the defender from getting into the ball um, kind of bullies his way to the basket at times. Yeah. And a, a really good passer as well. Super ambidextrous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no real good place to funnel him anywhere on the court. You kind of have to play up. So he doesn't shoot, but then he can get places with his dribble and there's nowhere to really push him with his dribble. Uh, but yeah, just a, a very fascinating, strong player. Who's great inside the arc has the outside shot and can create for others too. 
What was your take uh, on him defensively? Which, I mean, by the way, agree with everything on the offensive end yeah. of the floor. Like, love love the tools that he brings. He's a super, super physical guy. And because he's maybe 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six ish, like, he projects mm-hmm. to me more as a smaller four. All, not necessarily the same role, but, like, envision a Terry Taylor type of just that's a good name like yeah. really physical guy who, who just crashes the glass and does a lot near the basket but is also skilled on the perimeter but the defense has to click Where, what's your thought on the defense yeah i think the defense is like fine for what it is in that conference which is not uh ideal uh when you're talking about nba translation he's he's okay there's times where he moves well he's coordinated like the same way his footwork helps get in places on offense he's not a guy who's gonna like trip over himself defensively uh his positional knowledge is is solid he doesn't give up really easy looks uh but he's a guy who i think blocked three total shots he's he's ground bound and that's the other thing that worries me about is his interior finishing uh as he scales up to is he just does not get up um, so he doesn't, you know, his shot contests are whatever, uh, he, he can outsmart guys and get steals, but he does not jump off the page defensively. And he, like, he's just got to get in better shape is, is really the biggest thing with him. There's times too, where he's just not getting up and down the floor that well. And when you're that size, like that is, that's mandatory. It, you, you don't get to kind of lumber up and down the floor when you're in that six, five, six, six range. So the fitness is something I believe anybody can overcome. And I'm hoping like he did the formula zero camp with Damian Miller this off season. I'm just hoping that with Dame being a veteran of the program, being in that sort of a skills camp and everything like that, that we can kind of see that progression and see him realize like, Hey, I've got a real shot at this. And this is something I need to work on to get there. Uh, so that's really my hope for him. But where, where were you at uh, as far as his defensive game? So I think the first step is low and slow, not something that I would say, you know what, when you're 6'5 and you play this toolsy positionless role on a team, you probably have to be very versatile on the defensive end in order to make that work. And I don't think he is as versatile as he needs to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Better against fours and maybe some threes, not necessarily at ones and twos. And, you know, you were talking about the importance of, weak side rim protection for the future of the NBA. He's not a shot blocker. He's not Mm -hmm. somebody who is going to, he can be positionally sound, but he's not going to make that basket saving play necessarily. So I, I love his game and the tools that he brings to the table, but I see him being much more successful in Europe, in the NBL, in a league where he's not going to have to deal with high caliber athletes on a nightly basis where it is more about physicality and skill and positioning. And, and that's to me where he's going to thrive. Yeah. And, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's no, something that no. I find myself a caveat, like using as a caveat all the time. Like people be like, Oh, well, like what's this guy's floor? And like for most guys, it's not in the NBA and that's yeah. totally fine. Like this guy yeah. is going to make a lot of money playing professional basketball. And that's ultimately a really good thing. Uh, I'm sure that that's something he's wanted his entire life. So if that is where he ends up, I'm, you know, he'll, he'll be okay. Uh, but yeah. And like, to your point too, about like him being best guarding fours, it's also just the same time. Like there's a lot of fours in the NBA that are six, eight, six, nine, that he's really strong, but if they get him inside with him being that height and not being able to jump, it's going to be very easy to finish over the top of him. And he's just, he's got to, got to improve just the fitness, the quickness and, and be able to just run all day if, if he wants to, to have an NBA future. Yeah, fans of the skill, fans of the game, definitely needs to make some of those leaps on the athletic side. Mm-hmm. So you'd mentioned Jaden Nunn being somebody that you got in on early and then, oh, crap, all the draft footage already <laughs> on him. Yeah. And his name's starting to blow up. But let's talk about him here because I think mm-hmm. of all of the guys you profiled, he probably has one of the strongest cases to be drafted in this upcoming draft. So what are some of the highlights? Give us the, the elevator pitch here for Jaden Nunn. Yeah, so with Jaden Nunn, the first thing that jumped out to me was I was watching a VCU game to see Vince Williams Jr. And immediately I'm like, who is this guy that is guarding people the full length of the court? And then a few possessions later, I'm sort of watching Vince Williams off the ball and the person with the ball just really dances with it and gets themselves an open three. And I was like, oh, like, who is that? And I'm like, oh, that was the same guy from earlier that was playing that really intense defense, the full length of the floor. And that was Jaden Nunn. Um as we start to see sort of see more of these sort of combo guards 
uh, really stick in the league. I think Jaden Nunn has the makings of that archetype that, that tends to pan out. Yeah. Uh, he is a dogged defender. He is very long and he plays with a lot of intensity on that side of the ball. And I don't think he's a guy who's like looking to stat pad necessarily either. Like he'll dig and then he'll recover really quickly. Uh, his footwork is good. Uh, he's, he's not somebody who gets back cut all the time because he's back. He's ball watching. Um, really good defending the pick and roll. Very aware of the screen gets around the screen forces people just to awkward spots on the court as they come off of the screen. Uh, really, really good footwork, flexibility, everything you'd want in on ball defender. Uh, and then offensively, I think he has exactly what you want from a combo guard. I think he has a really good off the dribble scoring skill set. He made about, I think it was 38.1% of his threes and pick and rolls and 34.8 of them off the dribble. Uh, so we're starting from a really good standpoint as far as off yep. the dribble shooting. Um, and he really blossomed as a playmaker as the year went on. So his total assist numbers on the year versus turnovers, you look at it and it's like, I don't know if that's a guy I want running my offense. Uh, but down the stretch over the last 10 games, posted nearly a two to one assist to turnover ratio. So now that Vince Williams is going to be out of the picture, who was another really good ball handler, uh, did a lot of creation work for them. He's going to get more of those opportunities. Uh, so I just think that when you look at these type of guys and the role that they play in the NBA, a lot of times they're playing alongside a bigger initiator and their job is to be sort of that second side playmaker to act on a defense that's already been tilted, already in motion, already rotating. And I really trust him to do that. Uh, and I think if you need him to be a pure initiator, another year under his belt, and he's going to be there. Um, he was pretty good off the catch as a three-point shooter. He mentioned that's something he's really worked on a lot. Uh, and that to me is like the final one of the final pieces for him is just if he can be deadly is an off the catch three point shooter. Now you've got to worry about him with the ball and without the ball uh, and, and the defense I'm, I'm like in, I think the defense is exactly where it needs to be already. Yeah. So uh, no complaints, no, nothing different to add in terms of the, mm -hmm. the pitch he just gave there. I think that that's exactly what I've seen from none in watching him play, but I don't think a lot of people understand how competitive it is to make it in the NBA. Even a lot of us who, who you know, watch and follow the draft mm -hmm. as closely as we do. Like there's so many of the intangibles that these guys have to have in order to make it. And you mentioned his willingness to guard, to guard 94 feet, the toughness that comes mm -hmm. to the table. If there's one, I shouldn't say this in terms of only one program, but you, you learn after a while which college programs to trust in terms of preparing guys for the mental aspect of being able to make mm -hmm. it as a pro and to cut their teeth in the NBA on a less than traditional path. And if, mm -hmm. you know, if none is going to make it, it's going to be probably through maybe a second round pick or a two way or just continuing to scratch and claw for everything that he's given. If you are going to play at VCU, you have to have toughness. You have to mm -hmm. have the mental makeup to survive adversity. And that's one thing I know comes with their program, which is one of the reasons why I would feel really comfortable in taking a flyer on a guy like Jaden Nunn because he's just going to keep working and keep finding ways to get better. He's got that dog in him. Yeah, and so there's like two anecdotes that kind of tie into that that – I wasn't able to squeeze into the article just because it didn't fit, but I, th I thought exclusives. We both, get exclusives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. So, so one of the, the things about Jane Nunn, I, I love to try and just surprise everybody with one question. I like to just try and find one thing like they're not prepared to be asked a question about uh, on the VC website. They note that he was an accomplished bowler when he was younger, like the sport of bowling. So I asked him about it. I was like, is there any carryover? And he's like, there's a lot, like a lot of it is just determination and consistency and being willing to just do the same thing over and over again to get results. Um, but the other is that he went to dream city, uh, which, you know, well-regarded basketball prep school, always just playing a national schedule and things like that. And he talked about how for him, that really helped him just grow as a man, like just being in this new environment, not knowing anybody, um, and just having to kind of start from scratch and really earn and scrap and be in a practice every single day where there's all these other kids that are going to play high major basketball around you. I, I felt I came out of our conversation feeling like he had a really good head on his shoulders as far as knowing what he needs to work on, but just understanding 
life. Like he just seems like a guy who takes the right lessons from things and is, is humble and knows what he needs to do and is beyond willing to do it. And, and that's something that I just really liked about him. And, and he mentioned part of choosing VCU is that this is a program where he really felt like they understood him. They wanted him. And the guidance that he was getting was, Hey, go to a school where they want you, you know, go to a place that's going to have yes. that vested interest in you. Yes. And that's why he, he had other high major offers and he chose yep. VCU and it was 100% the right choice for him. So I'm excited to kind of see how he develops this next year. He's going to have more of that on bar responsibility and we'll see where he takes it. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge point. And for any basketball players, high schoolers, fans go where you're wanted, go where you're valued and where they let you be you. That's just, that's always good advice on the recruiting trail. So we've talked about four of these guys, Maxwell. There's a fifth on here that I know you wanted to mention. It's not somebody I'm overly familiar with, even after reading your piece, even having seen, you know, snippets of some clips and some games here. But I'm going to just give the floor over to you here for the the remainder of this thing and say, Maxwell, take it away. Who's the fifth guy you want to highlight here from yeah. the No Stone Unturned Ceiling? It is it is Ben Shepard from Belmont. He is a wing, uh, really good scorer, um, and a much better defender than you might think based on just the statistics. Uh, so Shepard was a guy who popped up for me when I was watching Will Richard, uh, who's now at Florida, uh, played at Belmont last season. And there was a point early in the year where Will Richard was just on fire from three. And it really seemed like he might be a 2022 draft guy. Uh, so I went, I dipped into the film and I was like, whoa, like this Ben Shepard guy. And again, like this is one of those things where, um, when we're evaluating, we're evaluating for the long term. So as a prospect, I think Will Richard is probably still the better prospect. Um, but watching that game, I was like, this Ben Shepard guy is is the better player right now. And I think if you would look at the statistics, it would you know bear it out. I think if you watch the film, it bears out. Um, but Ben Shepard, it just really leaps off the page. He's six six, very long, um, really great outside shooter. Uh, and it's something that he's developed over the years. So he was 37.1% from three this year uh, on 5.9 a game. Every year he's taken more threes and he's hit a higher percentage. So we're just seeing consistent year over year growth as a shooter. Um, but most impressively, he's great off of movement. Uh, so in the synergy numbers, he was 88th percentile on spot ups, but 70th percentile off screens and 84th percentile on handoffs. He yeah. does not stop moving. If you watch a game, he is in ridiculous shape. This guy runs the whole game. Uh, so if you just need a guy that you can park in the corner, like he's going to do that. He's going to make open threes. But he reminds me of Tevin Brown a little bit, just in terms of activity. Tevin Brown, more of like a combo mm. guard type of player where Shepard is more yeah. of a pure wing. Um, but he's just a nightmare to track. Like you have to keep an eye on him all the time. And he's also really good at changing directions. So he can really back cut and get to the rim. Yeah. And he's a, he's a very good rim finisher too. Um, and, and very that's, efficient when he gets, and there. that's the Belmont system too, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they always have great movement, great spacing in their offense, shooting specialists. And it, it's almost like, you know, this may be a little too draft nerdy, but like Davidson light in. So yeah, 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 yeah. When, when there's a shooting specialist that, you know, is at Davidson, then you know that they know how to move off screens, how to, react when they're overplayed, cut without the ball, finish without dribbling on the floor, like all the little intangible things that go into a shooting specialist role they exhibit in college. Shepard might be the same way. Yeah, and he loves playing defense. Like, he was so fired up to talk about playing defense with me. Uh, it's, it's his favorite side of the ball. And, like, when he said that, like, the conviction was unreal. Uh he there was a, the best game to just understand his defense is probably the game against Vanderbilt. He guarded Scottie Pippen Jr. and held him to, I believe, 10 points, which was one of his lowest totals of the season. This is a guy who did almost all of the scoring for Vanderbilt and Ben Shepard really put the clamps on him, just chased him around the entire game. Like everywhere he was, he stuck with him, stayed tight on him when he was on the ball, stayed tight with him off the ball, got around screens just that motor and that quickness and that ability to run the whole game really pays off on that end for him. Um, and I think he mentioned guard that he, he feels like he can guard one through four. I think he's probably, if, if you're talking like the pro level one through three, uh, very, very good guarding down, probably got to get a little bit stronger to guard up more efficiently. 
but has no problem sticking with with quicker players. Well, that's a, a pretty good pitch for me and definitely a guy that, again, I'm going to use you as a cheat sheet, right? I'm going to find <laughs> guys that you've already filtered through and say, all right, this is a guy that needs to be on my radar because I, I think that of you as a scout, I trust your work and, and the effort that you put in there. But uh, you know, Shepard, in the little times that I did watch watch Baylor, like he was one of those names to remember and circle back to. And when I, when I saw him in your piece, I was like, you know what? Yeah, Maxwell's on to something here. That seems like a really <laughs> uh, a really good fit. But coming through the series, season is starting up. Draft cycle is ready to go. We're only a few days from the start of the NBA season. Let the people know, what do you have going on and what are you going to be working on moving forward over at No Ceilings? Yeah, so uh, noceilingsnba.com. That's where all my written work is going to be. Um, also hosting the Draft Deeper podcast now with uh, Nathan Grubel and Stephen Gillespie. So go subscribe to that, but also go subscribe to the No Ceilings podcast feed. From now on, uh, starting in two weeks, everything is just going to be under that one feed. So make sure you're subscribed to the No Ceilings podcast feed, like first and foremost. We're going to have something, the same shows that we do now, all just going to be under that one feed. So you'll get something new and fresh every day. Um, Taking it a little bit easy on the writing front for now. uh, (laughs) We are starting, yeah, we're starting the second year of No Ceilings uh, in two weeks. Uh, so the 25th is going to be my next column. I'm working on that right now. Uh, so we're going to start up with the prospect overview again, just my weekly, here's everything that's going on sort of column. But the, uh, the feature in this one's going to be on Jalen hood Shafino, who's oh, going to be yeah. a freshman at Indiana this year, a player I really like. Uh, so I'm super, super excited to write about him. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I started to write a little bit. I was like, I'm going to take it easy for a couple. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a little bit about Jalen Hedgefino today. Yeah. So it started on that one, but that's where everything's going to be. So make sure you subscribe to that No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. That's, that's the number one thing. Well, I will make sure I do so. I'm sure many of our listeners will as well. Uh, there's so much overlap between what we do here at the Box and One and, and what you guys are doing, just being in the draft space. But uh, truly amazes me how No Ceilings really is everywhere. we try to be yeah (laughs) well maxwell this was awesome i really appreciate you coming on here and for those of you who are are still listening and following along make sure you stay with us at the box and one right now for our nba season previews as well as what's coming out over the next couple weeks our deep dives into college basketball as we get ready for the start of the kickoff of the college basketball season i'm coach spins thank you so much for joining us we'll see you next time